Hi, I'm Chloe. And I'm Bez. And this podcast is for graduate teachers in their first five years. We share our own teaching stories as well as advice and ideas we wish we'd had as graduate teachers. Sometimes funny, sometimes horrifying, but always true. We want you to thrive and love teaching beyond the dreaded five-year cliff. Hey, Bez. Hey, Chloe. Have you got a story for us? Absolutely, I do. So before I started teaching full-time, I CRT'd around a lot of schools. Nice. There was one school in particular that I went to. First two lessons, absolutely great, Mm -hmm. smooth sailing. Third lesson, though, and this is right before lunchtime. Mm -hmm. I look at the lesson plan on the sheet of paper that the teacher had left. Okay. It was meant to be a test. Oh. So you're like, great. I will just sit there, get them organized, hand them out, collect them back up. Did you have the test? I did have the test. Okay. Thankfully, everything was there. I walk into the room. There's only about five students. Lovely. And I have to double check the role to make sure that there is only five. There was probably supposed to be about 20 students. <gasps> You're kidding. They start trickling in one by one. Finally, I get them settled, hand them their test, and then I've got one student with her hand on the table. She's got a pair of scissors. <gasps> you know how the kids do the pencil like in between your fingernails? Oh, my God, like the magic trick thing. She was doing that with scissors. Oh, no. I had two students underneath the table, another one had locked themselves in the closet. (gasps) Another one was attempting to pull that student out. I had three students just leave the classroom literally within 15 minutes. So I'm trying to put out fires. I did not put that fire out. Welcome to the jungle, right? Literally. And when you're CRTing, you don't know students' names. Okay. So when you ask for their names, some of them give you incorrect names as well, and they find that hilarious. So I'm trying to get one student out of the closet. I'm trying to get the girl to stop using the scissors Yeah. because I obviously don't want her to stab her fingers. Anyway, I had to go to the classroom next door and ask the teacher for help because it was literally chaos and kids everywhere, kids out of the classroom. And that's how that lesson went with the test that was supposed to be a cruisy lesson. Smooth sailing. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I'm keen to really ask you now, like, how did that lesson end? But now I feel like that's going to ruin the rest of our our episode. Um, So I guess our question is, well, how do you set expectations and boundaries with a brand new class? With a brand new class that you're teaching full time or do you reckon CRT? You know what? I think it might be different for both. And like, I mean, I never did CRT, but I know how students can treat CRTs. So Mm -hmm. why don't we start there and then we can transition into like you know, talking about what you do if you were there permanently. Okay. CRTs, when you're CRTing... God bless CRTs. It is really difficult to establish expectations. Mm. Um, Consequences are also really difficult, depending on the school as well and how consistent the school is with communicating that to students, like how they're supposed to behave in the classroom. So, like, for your experience then, like, when you go into a school as a CRT... Do they tell you what their behaviour management process is or are you kind of going in blind? To be honest, like 75% of the time going in blind. I can't remember any behavioural expectations, consequences that were ever communicated to me as a CRT. Okay. Is it something that you have the opportunity to ask about? 
I think definitely you should. Or do you think that's more of a, like that. a hindsight thing? <laughs> definitely a hindsight thing. Yeah. Ask because at some point when you're CRTing, you will probably need to escalate. Yeah, at some point. Some like that day when you oh, had I would have, the circus classroom. That would have been very helpful. Yeah. Okay. Well, what then is the difference between your experience during times where you've known the school's behaviour expectations and then times where you didn't? Really different. When you're CRTing, like you were saying before, I would ask what are the steps mm. to escalate behaviours that aren't acceptable in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And for our, really new les- for our new listeners, can you just explain, like, what do you mean by escalation? That's a great question. Yeah. What I mean by escalation is, for example, if a student is throwing rubbish across the classroom and you've asked that student to stop mm-hmm. and continue their work and they continue to throw it, mm. what are the steps to calmly address, es- the behavior? address that behaviour yeah. and also minimise disruptions in the classroom as well? Yeah. Because it's really difficult to escalate that behaviour or address it without, you don't want the whole class yeah. then being involved and they're learning to have mm. stopped as well. Okay. So in a situation then where you've walked into a classroom for the first time as a CRT, you have not been given any sort of expectations on how this school escalates different issues, What what's the process? What would your process be? My process is try to figure out what their names are as best as you can. Mm. Most of the time, like 95% of the time, you know, they are honest and will give you their name. Or if you ask them to stop a particular behaviour, they will. In the case that they don't give you their name. School LMS, right? Right. Yeah. Jump on there, have a look at the photos. Otherwise, you can also ask another student as well, you know. Um, Pick the good behaving ones. The good behaving <laughs> ones, you know, quietly at the end of the lesson. Hey, I didn't really catch that student's name. What was their name? Yeah. Um, as long as they don't mind being a snitch. <laughs> I was going to say snitches get in stitches, but no. no. That's what the kids used to say. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and, like, what would your success rate on that be? When you ask for their names, yep. like I'd say, like, 90, 95% of the time, they will give you their name. They will stop that particular behaviour. Mm. I think it only probably happened about, on top of my head, probably once with okay. over a dozen schools All right. that I was at. If it does, if a behaviour really does escalate and you need some assistance, obviously you can't leave the classroom. Yeah. I would send a student to a classroom next door mm-hmm. um, and trustworthy. Ask, yeah, and yeah. ask the teacher there to come and help you. And you know, teachers look after each other, so they'll yeah. they'll be able to step in. And obviously, if it's a teacher that's at the school, yeah, they're better able to escalate. Did you ever have like I know that even just as a full time teacher, I used to have this number saved on my phone, and it was like the general office. Like, yes. did you ever like save the number of like a deputy or the AP or? something in your phone so that you knew, oh, if something really goes wrong here, Mm -hmm. I've got someone to contact? Yeah, great question. We had phones in every classroom and you could just click a button and that would go to the office. Fantastic. Um, In another school that didn't have that, we just sent a student to the wellbeing office. Um, But definitely have a go-to, either your AP or the wellbeing office. Generally, the year-level coordinator or wellbeing office, there's always someone there. Cool. Um, So if you send a student 
there, generally someone's able to come to the classroom mm. and help and you I out. And I like, if you're in a school more often, students are going to see you around, so they're probably going to misbehave less and less as they, you, they see you as a familiar face, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you have that rapport Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah. yeah. I know that, like, I used to have common CRTs when I was a student, and I was like, oh, such and such. You kind of didn't even know they were a CRT. You just thought they were permanent. Yeah. That makes me wonder, though, like, what would you say is, like, a massive rookie move? Like, do not do this. Like, this is the worst thing that you could possibly do as a CRT. Try your best not to get flustered Mm. or angry. Mm. When you're calm, there's a sense of control there. Mm. I feel easier said than done, obviously, but um, when you get flustered or upset or angry, students obviously pick up on that as well, and some of them really thrive on that. So if you can remain calm, it sort of gives the sense to students that you are in control, even if you feel like you're not. (laughs) You are not at all. Fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. (laughs) What about you? Like, I guess with teaching full time. Rookie errors, I think just being too lenient too soon. I know that's something we've sort of spoken about before. Um, But I think I used to really focus on wanting students to like me or I wanted them to think that I was their favourite teacher (laughs) and, yeah, sometimes that can get you into a bit of trouble Mm. or sometimes it also just blurs the boundaries for students. Like I've certainly had senior students, like, make jokes that I certainly thought were maybe a little bit inappropriate um, and crossed a bit of a line and, you know, I've even had junior students like following me around at recess because they just wanted to talk to me and I was like, oh my gosh, please <laughs> leave me alone. I would Let like five minutes <laughs> to just like, you know, observe and just chill out. Um, how did you address that then? Yeah. So look, with one student, um, this junior student that used to follow me around in the yard, I think kind of a dual issue. Part of it was that he actually didn't have a lot of friends and he really struggled to make friends and he he actually connected with adults a lot better than he did with kids his own age. So it was about trying to support him to build the types of friendships that suited him and that he could continue with and feel Mm. comfortable with. But we also needed to be careful that we didn't just sort of like throw him out in the yard and be like, good luck. Yeah. Um, Because that's very isolating. Yeah. So I think what we ended up doing is like creating some some boundaries about when he could come and speak and see his certain teachers because, you know, this was an issue beyond him just seeking me out. We were seeking others out too. Um, But then also setting up some safe spaces for him like the library or, um, you know, buddy systems and that kind of thing. Um, and with time, that became a lot better. Mm. Yeah. So what do you mean by like the safe space? And I'm interested in the buddy system as well, because that's quite a popular concept. Yeah. In so um, in this, with the safe spaces, it's just about making sure students have somewhere that they can go that, you know, they feel comfortable in. So, you know, he didn't feel comfortable walking around the yard by himself all the time. And, you know, he found it really hard to make friendships within his class Um, We did explore the concept with his coordinator of maybe switching classes to see if there was another class he might like to go in, Um, but he preferred to stay where he was. Um, He did get along really well with um, one of our integration aides, and so, like, the school at the time used to have, like, lunchtime game sessions, so... Um, you know, he was able to go to like the lunchtime game sessions, the integration ed would sometimes just pop in. Um, 
you know, it was a really nice thing of him to do. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And then the library was also just like a quiet space that he could go to where he didn't have that social pressure to feel like he needed to be with a group of people. He could just be there by himself and he felt good with that. And then the buddy system is more about trying to partner him with somebody who we think he would get along with. They can sort of like help to guide him, whether that's in class or, you know, develop a bit of a friendship outside of class. Mm. So we, we tried a bit of both, a couple of different things, um, and eventually he kind of like found his people, if that Aww. makes sense. Yeah. And stopped bothering me at lunchtime. What's the saying? I was very grateful for. All is well that ends well? All ends well that ends well. All ends well that ends Yeah. So I guess while we're talking about boundaries, that one mm. was obviously about, you know, junior, senior students outside of the class. How do you set boundaries at the beginning of the year with a new class as well? So one thing that I really love to do is to co-create expectations. Um, and I know that's something that we spoke about recently, like mm. how do we set expectations with our class and whether it's a class contract or, so- or something else. For me, it's about making sure that uh, my students can articulate to me how they want to feel when they come into my classroom and then what is it that we need to do as a collective to make sure that everybody can feel that way. Mm. So I think that links sort of back to like rights and responsibilities. Yeah. Um, thanks, Bill Rogers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that I sort of give my class like there's three main rights that I think everybody deserves to have that walks through that door and that's the right to be respected the right to feel safe, and a right to learn. And if at any point in time, like, those rights are impeached or at risk or whatever it is, then that's when we need to look at, like, escalating a behaviour or consequences or at just adjusting our behaviour. Right. Um, and then I think from there you've just got to look at, well, what does your escalation system look like? Do you have a very clear school policy that outlines, like, three strikes and then you get exited from the room? Um Is there like a call home that's involved? Is there restorative practice where once a student is exited from a class, you have to have a restorative conversation with them before they are allowed back in? Um, Most schools will be pretty specific about what that process is. And I think if it isn't, then you probably are more likely to run into some Mm -hmm. issues But it's then more, I think, and I don't know what your experience is, but it's even more important that you're doing it. Like, because if there's there's no, you know, school-wide expectations, then your students are going to have no expectations when they walk into your classroom. Yeah. So it's really important to set set those expectations and carry those expectations through. I think it's important that students feel feel that they're important. Yeah. Um, you know, people often say, like, you might not remember what you learnt in a lesson, but you'll certainly remember how you felt. And I certainly don't want any of my students to feel unsafe or disrespected or like they can't learn. From your experience then, while we're on the topic of, like, escalations, Mm. what was your experience at at the schools that you taught at Mm. Did they have an escalation process? If they yep. didn't, like, did you have to come up with one on your own? And, like, what was that process? Yeah. So both were pretty similar, but I think the follow-through in each of the schools was quite different. 
So the first school I had, it was a similar sort of like three strikes and then you get sent to to time out or like it was essentially a room in the front office. Um, and then there was always a follow-up from a coordinator and then coordinators would follow up with parents. That, that was a very interesting school where like as a regular teaching staff member, we actually never called parents, which is like unheard of. But it, yeah, at this particular school, it was like only the coordination team would call call parents. So it was kind of a big deal when they called home, and students really saw that that last level of escalation as like something that they really didn't want to happen. Were you allowed to contact like email parents, no. or if, what if a a parent called you? Did they you just wouldn't have to... call us. They would call the coordination team. Wow. Yeah. So we like never had contact with parents apart from parent teacher interviews. Right. Yeah. So every all of our comms would go through the year level coordinators and they were like teams of people that work together. That's very interesting. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. And then other schools that I worked at were, you know, we constantly had contact with parents. We'd be able to call them, email them, they could email us and it was a different system. But I did find that the, whilst the escalation system was the same and it was a three strikes and then you get exited, students didn't really care so much. They were kind of like, oh, well, I have to get exited and then have a detention. No big deal kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I think you've just got to think about, well, what's, how valuable is that actual escalation in terms of correcting the behaviour? Because yeah, it was certainly much more successful in one school compared to the other in my experience. Yeah. Have you got an escalation story? Gone wrong? Um, look, I think everyone has an escalation <laughs> story gone a little bit pear-shaped. Um, certainly I've had instances where I've gone to exit a student and they've just refused. They've, like, outright refused to exit. Mm. And you kind of have that, oh, my God, moment. Like, what do I do? How do I get them out? I can't forcefully remove them. I can't remove the class. Like, So they're... what do you do then? Like, if a student re- refuses... Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose you've got to have that backup plan, right? And like make sure that the school has something in place. Like, I guess you could speak to a staff member next door um, to like help mind your class while you go and get someone. If you've got phones in the classrooms, you can contact like someone from the office or a deputy or someone from leadership to come and get them. Um, We at one of the schools I worked at had an email system where, like, if you did have something that needed to be escalated, you'd send, like, this group email to all of the coordinators and then somebody would come down. So you always felt supported, like someone would have your back. Yeah. Um, But it's I think the hardest thing in those moments is just that feeling of, oh, no, my authority is being undermined right now and how is the rest of the class going to behave after this? Mm. But I think what you said earlier about just, like, remaining calm is so important because what's going on in your head and how you feel in that moment, your class doesn't know. Like they actually don't know. Um, And you can have a cry about it later or like go scream into a pillow, listen to a crazy music, whatever it is you need to do to cope. But in those moments, just remain calm because, yeah, they they totally don't know, right? Yeah. And you're so right. It's like you could be dying on the inside and like close to tears, but... You know, on the outside, if you're appearing calm and collected, fake it till you make it. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that you in particular, like, you're a big fan of, like, if-then statements or even, like, 
choices mm-hmm. when you're in those situations where you've got a bit of conflict with a student. Yep. Can you talk us through, like, how have you used those statements in, you know, some sticky situations? If and then statements, I absolutely love because it's very clear to the student you're communicating if X behaviour continues, mm-hmm. then this is the consequence that will be. Yeah. So then when you go to carry out or implement that consequence, you know, you're not getting students, most of the time, you're not getting students who are kicking up being like, mm. you didn't warn me, or that was only my first, w-. like how many times yeah. have you heard that as a teacher, well, yeah, right? Yeah, so many. There's less pushback, I guess, because it's like, well, I've outlined to you, if X, then Y. Yeah. <laughs> so for example, like the most common one is like, let's say students not doing their work, they're chatting with the person next to them, you've asked them to stop. Mm. So you might say, Bob, you know, we're meant to be writing this essay. If you continue talking after this, then I'm going to have to ask you to move. Mm -hmm. Of course, in some situations, depending on the student as well, you never really want to back a student into the corner. Mm -hmm. So that's when options are really helpful. So if we take the same context as well, it might be they're not necessarily fake options, but you think you're... <laughs> they're perceived you give, options. Yes. You give them <laughs> options and choices. So you might go, hey, Bob, I've noticed that you've been talking to this student for the last 10 minutes. Now, you can either continue... You wouldn't no, want Bob no, to continue. No, you don't want Bob to continue. <laughs> so you go, now, Bob, you can either... I'm going to give you the chance to move seats... Otherwise, if you continue talking, I'm going to ask you to stay behind. The choice is up to you. Yeah. So you can sort of see there, there's a a preferred choice. Yeah. You're kind of making them lean towards the choice that you would like for them to make, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, And then at that point, whatever action they carry out, you've given them that choice and that consequence clearly. Completely. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you used that in the classroom extensively? Love a choice. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know... If the if-then statements are fantastic, I've used them a lot. And then, yeah, the choices in terms of you can do this or you can do that. I think that also works in terms of, like, a, if learning behaviours as well. Like, um, sometimes you'll have students that just don't want to complete specific learning tasks, mm-hmm. in which case you can go, okay, well, what sort of modifications can I put in place so that this student actually is still doing something that's on task? Um, and I know I digress a little bit, but um, this student in particular didn't want to complete like a safety poster in year seven, something that we do. He really hated handwriting and he was also a supported student and had specific learning difficulties that we needed to adjust for. And so I kind of gave him an option. I was like, okay, well, if you don't want to do a poster, you can either do a comic strip or you can just do the poster in like drawing, like you don't have to do any of the words and stuff. And so, yeah, he kind of chose the poster in the end without like putting written explanations and things on it. And I just got him to verbally like tell me about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think it just, it makes them feel, makes students feel like they've got like a bit of control. Mm. And then, like you said, you don't want to back them into a corner because then you're like, they're ready for a fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think it's also, you can really easily do that, particularly when you feel like you're losing control of the classroom and you get a bit panicky. Um, but when you're giving... It's like, oh, my God, I need to prove myself in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah, literally. But when you're giving students that option... You're actually they still are in empower- control, yeah, right? And they are that they're empowered to empowered. do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. 
So, yeah, we, I guess we don't want Bob to blow up, right? No. How much do we love Bob in this podcast? I know, we keep... How many Bobs have you actually taught? I haven't taught any. I haven't taught a Bob either. Me neither. Well, that brings us to our exit tickets. So what would your one key takeaway be then for somebody who's trying to behaviour manage a class or even behaviour manage a very tricky student? One is definitely chat with other staff in the school, find Mm -hmm. out what the process is. Yeah. Um, Because if the school implements it really well, students are aware of that escalation process and consequence as well. Yeah. Um, mine would be, and I, like, I suppose we didn't really touch on this, but I think talking through everything has made me realise that like, if you're having a hard time with something with a class or a student, don't be afraid to ask for help mm. or ask people what's working for them. Um, and just talk about it. Like, If it's happening for you, the chances are it probably is happening for someone else. And they maybe have tried some things that you haven't tried just yet. Um, and yeah, support's there if you need it. Yeah. That's a fantastic one, actually. When you say that, I'm just thinking... Thanks. The first school I was at <laughs> literally learnt all my behaviour management through through all the staff at the school yeah. and just asked them. Things we wish we knew, right? I know. Well, that's why we're doing this podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening today, everyone, and tune in next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.